It's time for the What in the Podcast. You know Santa and Grinchy and Rudolph and Frosty, Elf on the Shelf and a young boy named Ralphie. But do you recall the least well-known folklore of all? It's Christmas, and for our gift to you, we will discuss the myths of Christmas, its origins and traditions, and some little-known creatures of the season that may not be as jolly as that old fat man in the red suit. Welcome to episode 30 of What in the Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriana Mito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hello and welcome to the What in the Podcast. This is your host, Kent Whittington, along with my co-hostesses, Adriana Mito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Tracy couldn't make it, but she's with us remotely tonight. Hey, I'm here, but not necessarily in mind. And I should also say tonight, Merry Christmas. By the time you get to listen to this podcast, it will be Christmas Day. We are recording yep. the day before that. so Happy Christmas Eve. We are hustling all over town, trying to get everything done so we could just do the podcast for you guys, because that's how much we care. We really want you guys to have something, a gift from us. This is our gift to you. Working when we weren't supposed to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Happy debated. Kwanahana Yule Master Fistibus. <laughs> and a happy Ramahana Kwanzmas to you, too. <laughs> oh, and I forgot Ursus. Dang it, I forgot Ursus. Oh, well. That's okay. I left Ursus in there as well. <laughs> it's all good. Anyway, we had thought about actually not doing a podcast, you know, giving everybody a break, but, you know, it's the holidays and we want to do something nice. Yep. What's nicer than a podcast? Hello. My wife just handed me an ornament that cat knocked off our tree. <laughs> Dead kitties in their future. No, I'm just kidding. Only if they brought the tree down. Nah. Even if they yet. did that, we just get mad at them and, mm -hmm. and yell, but that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so, ladies, what are we going to talk about on this Christmas day? Well, we're going to talk about Christmas and other things. Miss uh, things that are wrong. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. We, I, I, there, there's, there's misconception, mis, misconceptional myths. Yes. I can talk really. We'll just call them misconceptions. Misconceptions. Mything. I love those myths. <laughs> I love mything books. They're fine. Robert Aspen was awesome. So yeah, we're gonna talk about not just Christmas, but some traditions, some of the myths of Christmas, and some of the darker side of Christmas too. Actually, with some of the yes. folkloric characters. And of course, there's one we're gonna talk about that's been done to death. And been made movies and stuff, yes, but we we're just discuss... gonna touch on it and then keep going. Yeah, we'll discuss that. The, 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 <laughs> the... That guy, <laughs> the thing, the critter, the monster. Nothing, nothing wrong with him. Every podcast this time of year always does something on Krampus, and we too will touch on Krampus, but not as much as we want to touch on some of the other characters of Christmas. There's too. a lot that I hadn't heard of before this year, and there's some that I have heard of. But not in detail until uh -huh. this year. So lots to learn, lots to share. Yep. And just crazy time of year. Let's get crazy. Sure, why not? Okay. Who wants to go first? 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. I was going to let you guys catch up on, 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 since you put out there last week that, that my daughter was graceful and skilled and did her foot in. Let me tell you guys what she did. Okay. Really quick. Um, and like I said, so my, it was my, up to you to share that. We weren't going to share it because it's private and personal. So. Yep, no, well, that's fine. My, my wonderful, graceful daughter <laughs> stepped off of her bed. Now, mind you, her bed is a futon. Okay. Stepped off of her bed and rolled her ankle. Okay, so, so she, she broke her, her cuboid, couple, fractured a couple bones around it, has done some nerve damage, so we get to see the orthopedic surgeon in the next two weeks. Because she can walk gracefully. And uh, she inherited that from my mother and I, and then she also inherited her lack of pain ability because she was walking on a thing she's supposed to not put any pressure on because pain sensors are not quite functional in my side of the family. So, yay, this is great. <laughs> you guys didn't do anything by halves, do you? That's okay. Oh, no, no. Oh, sorry. No, no. We, we don't do anything by halves. And then, and then to add insult to injury, my husband's car caught fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> While parked. You talking about that. And off. And untouched for more than 12 hours. So, yeah. So the, the center console. The Sounds like an electrical yep. short. Probably was, yeah. Mm. It's one of those, yep, this is welcome to winter. <laughs> the car is possessed but and hey, angry. You know, Poltergeist. But the is, it's Christmas Eve, and, and it's my 22nd anniversary, and yay! Congrats! Yeah, happy Woo! Anniversary happy Tracy anniversary to Tracy and Joel. Many, <laughs> hopefully many more anniversaries in the future, too. I hope so. Yep. Oh, that's okay. He was managing the bookstore at the Folsom Outlets many, 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 many moons ago. And uh, he, his foot was bothering him. And he was just bothering, bothering, whatever. And it was swelling a little bit, but not too bad. And uh, turns out he broke his foot and was walking on it for six months. And yeah, so he ended up, he ended up in a walking cast. And then he was supposed to wear that walking cast for six months. Walked out of it at three. (laughs) The Velcro game, the whole thing flew off his foot. (laughs) See, right I, I I developed a bone spur while working at Joanne's, and all I felt was was I felt like it was a needle in my foot. And I see the doctor, and he goes, "No, no, you got a bone spur. You'll be in this kit, this walking boot for three months at least." Mm-hmm. And then I went back to work because what else are you gonna do? And I'm walking around, and I turned, and I felt something pop, but the pra- the pain was gone. So I go see the doctor, and he goes, "So you broke the bone spur off." You can get out of your boot next week. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's lucky, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, but then you have that floating bone spur. Does your body reabsorb it, or did it end up traveling? Yep. It reabsorbed it, got rid of it, and everything was fine. It's one of those, you know, just what the heck are you doing? I'm like, I'm just being me, and I'm special. <laughs> well, no, I've heard where some people have broken it off, and it doesn't reabsorb. It just travels. Yeah. Like, no, my, my niece one... broke the tip of her toe off. The tip Ooh. of one of her toes off. Uh, yeah, she broke the tip of her toe off, and it's been floating around. They, it hasn't reabsorbed, but uh, but it hasn't been causing her too many problems as of yet. But they're watching it. <laughs> yep. Okay, ladies. Well, I, need, I, I think okay. we need to stop talking about our personal breaks and everything. People, <laughs> people aren't listening for that. At least I hope they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm let's, sorry. let's talk about what we came to talk about tonight. Let's talk about Christmas. Who'd like to start? Let's let Tracy start. Okay. Unless you have something you have to. No, we, you... we can start with Tracy. That's fine. Okay, so shall I start with some facts? Yes. Sure. sure. 
Okay, so ancient Rome, there's a feast called Saturnalia that was celebrated at the solstice, which we just all went through. It's the day when the sun starts coming back and the start the days start getting longer. And most of the traditions that we have that relate to Christmas relate to solstice, which was celebrated in ancient Rome on December 25th. When Christianity became the official religion in, of a sense in Rome, they were able to fix this date to the 25th. There's a little discrepancy, but there's no question of the fact that it was celebrated in Rome as an important day with giving, gift giving, candle lighting, singing, decorating houses, running ramshod, lawlessness, orgies, and more. Of course. <laughs> Another custom we can thank for it is as pagans for is the Christmas tree, because it was explained that the evergreen trees signaled the return of life and light as the you know as the days became longer after the solstice. They've started out by hanging apples on the trees. On the, the evergreens, so you had little red balls on green trees. See anything similar here? Oh, yeah. We celebrate the idea of the light and coming back in the world, which is essentially what Christmas means to Christians around the world. Now, Mistletoe. As far as, as far as the Christmas tree goes, wasn't there a myth that Prince Albert did the first Christmas tree? I have that as well. It's not the first Christmas tree. He brought it from Germany. But okay. I have that on my hair as well. Okay. Well, you further down that. my list of doom. Sure, sure. No problem. <laughs> Mistletoe was started through the Druids, who believed that it is an all-powerful healing item for the sacred oak tree and a sign of fertility. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you met someone in the forest, you gave them a sign of peace under mistletoe. So people started to hang mistletoe above their doorways as signs of peace. Such a powerful symbol of pagan paganism that English churches actually banned the use of it for a good long time. It's also pointed out that the very first instance of the war on Christmas actually dates back to the Puritans in the 17th century, which I get into later on as well. Most of these things, mostly because the Puritans banned Christmas because they knew it was a pagan idea. No, I'm, I just got this image in my head of, of uh, druids meeting under a tree, kissing under the mistletoe for some reason. I don't know. It's all that space, signs of peace. You, you hugged, you, you showed your hands were empty, and then, you know... Nothing more peaceful than that. Exactly. Okay, so myths of Christmas. Jesus is born December 25th. Well, this is not quite true because it's never mentioned anywhere in the Bible. It's not even given a date or even a month. He and was, he could have been born in December, but it's highly unlikely since like the, the shepherds were in their fields. And Bethlehem is cold during winter, so shepherds would not be in their fields. Let's see what else is there. Mary and Joseph were taking part in the census, but censuses took place in September and October, because that's when the harvest was. According to a dating glitch with, and no record of a worldwide census in the Roman Empire at that time by uh, Emperor Augustus, the only known census period took place in the province of Judea in the year 6 or 7 AD, which puts Jesus' birth 10, after, 10 years after King Herod died. But the Bible said that Herod wanted the death of all firstborn, so that kind of puts into question more dates. Kind of puts a weird kibosh on the census, too, I would think. Yes. But remember, they, these were all written 65 years after, supposedly, when the apostles wrote them. So, it's it, confusing. Yes, <laughs> quite confusing. The New Testament gives no dates to his birth. You know, it was written 65 years after the baptism of, sorry, after the baptism of Jesus. So, it's even older than that, you know, further away from Jesus' birth. The year of Jesus' birth was determined by Dionysus Exegus, number one, the Roman and pre-Christian era years were counted from Ab Yerba Candita, the founding of the city of Rome. Thus, okay. one 
of the Common Era signifies the year that Rome was founded. Five signifies the fifth year of Rome, etc. Mm -hmm. Dionysus believed that a tradition that the Roman Emperor Augustus reigned for 43 years was followed by Emperor Tiberius. In Luke 3, 1 through 23, indicates that Jesus turned 30 years old when the 15th year of Tiberius's reign. So if Jesus was 30 in his Tiber and Tiberius's reign and lived 15, year 15 years under Augustus, making it that Jesus was born in the year 3, somewhere they figure around the September 11th to November 18th. So nobody really knows for sure, basically. Of course. <laughs> There's lots of exactly. Lots of speculation. So someone just said, hey, we're going to put it on this day, and this is what it's going to be. Exactly. Let's see, we talked about, yeah, uh, Roman pagans introduced the holiday of Saturnalia as a week-long period of lawlessness. Imagine the purge. Courts were closed. Law dictated no one could be punished for damaging property, including people. They began by... Um, choosing a person, an enemy of the Roman people, to represent the lord of misrule. And during that week, they would overfeed them and overdecadence them so that at the end, when they ran them down in the street to kill them, the person couldn't get away. Well, the whole thing with the lord of misrule or lady of misrule, I, I imagine that wasn't pleasant in any way, shape, or form for them as well. You know, and, and it was normally, at this point, even taken that, that the Jews were the one who were, ones who were being chosen for misrule. Right. Yeah, being considered enemies of the Roman state, that wouldn't be surprising. In the 4th century of the Common Era, Christianity imported the Saturnalia Festival, hoping to import the masses of the pagans. Christian leaders succeeded in converting large numbers of pagans by promising that they could continue to celebrate Saturnalia as Christians without the chasing people through the streets. The problem is there's nothing insanely, intrinsically Christian about Saturnalia. To remedy this, the Christian leaders named Saturnalia's day as December 25th as Jesus' birthday. Because how else do you get people to convert? Christians, although, have had little success in refining the practices of Saturnalia. A professor of history in Massachusetts writes, In return for ensuring massive observance of the anniversary of the Savior's birth, by assigning it to this resident date, the church has partly, part tactfully agreed to allow the holiday to be celebrated more or less the way it has always been. The earliest Christmas holidays were celebrated by drinking, indulgence, seeing naked ladies in the or singing naked in the street. I wouldn't uh, the mind seeing naked ladies in the street, but that's you know that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> precursor of the modern caroling, etc. The Reverend Increase Mather of Boston in 1687 observe that early Christians who first observed the nativity on December 25th did not do so thinking that Christ was born in that month because of the heathens. Saturnalia was at the time in Rome. They were willing to have these pagan holidays metamorphosed onto Christian ones because of its knowing its pagan origin. Christmas was banned by the Puritans for 22 years. However, it was still spread by most Christians around the Puritans. So basically the church just said give the people what they want. Yep. Bringing the numbers. Jesus was not born in the stable. As anyone from the era knows, you did not keep your animals in a stable. You kept your animals with you. So he was not born in a barn, surrounded by farm animals. There were because there was, because there was no room at the end. He was born in a busy room in the family home that also has animals in it because you kept your animals in the house to protect them from the wild creatures outside. Okay, that makes sense too. He may not have come from Bethlehem, 
Every reference to him as Jesus of Nazareth, suggesting, it, suggesting that that was his hometowns, and two Gospels conflicting over the reason for being in Bethlehem, the city of David. Jesus did not actually descend from King David, the, the tree of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, which differs from Matthew and Luke, comes around through King David down to Joseph, but since Joseph isn't Jesus' father, he is not the son of a king. Scar of Bethlehem was not Haley's comet. It would have come at 12 years before the common era, not... You know, which, you know, which is much, much too early. <laughs> well, consider also recently on that, we've had the conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, and they're calling that the Christmas star now. They are calling that now, but that was also not the right time period. <laughs> yeah, because the conjunction would have happened then. Yep. Oh, Jesus was not an only child. This is, this is because, although he's the only begotten son of God, Mary and Jesus had a very long marriage together, and there are socks, uh, there are words and mentionings that Jesus has brothers. You mean Mary and he grounded, Joseph, right? He huh? You mean Mary and Joseph, right? You say Mary and Jesus. Yeah, sorry, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> I'm awake, I swear. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, well, but then know, again, well, just because well, he's the son other of God Mary doesn't mean too, Mary and Joseph so. didn't get busy afterwards. Yep. The three wise men that. that appeared at Jesus' birth uh, probably got there years later when he was six or seven, and they were not kings. They were magi or wise men the number and names were never detailed anywhere in writing but the bible says the men arrived when jesus was a young child not an infant and they found him at home with his mom not in a manger in the stable so we have all these more conflicting things that keep popping up because you know people really want the story to sound really awesome but really not mm -hmm. christmas is not the most important christian holiday that would be easter right because that's when he rose Exactly. That's the important one. Mm -hmm. The origin of the Christmas tree was as early Christians recruited Roman pa pagans by associating Christmas with Saturnalia, the worshippers of Asherah cult, and its offshoots were recruited by the Christian church sanctioning Christmas trees. Pagans had long worshipped trees in the forest or brought them into their homes to decorate them. The observance was adopted and painted with Christian veneer at a church. With Prince Albert and his Christmas tree, Queen Victoria welcomed the Christmas tree to her home for the first time in 1848, but British people had already been observing the tradition for about 100 years previous to this. The tree made its way to America in the 1830s, but wasn't popular until 1846, after which, because Prince Albert brought it into England, properly everyone decided that since everyone has as is normal royal fever it had to be the end thing to do for everyone else <laughs> christmas trees have meaning relative to jesus in reality green trees evergreen trees are already popular by pagan rites before and they didn't become a wildly held symbol of christmas until the renaissance era german protestants began bringing them home and decorating the larger trees that grew in the local forests. The custom began to spread out through various German dukedoms and jumped to England as the ascension of the German king to the British monarchy and German cities in America began using the custom to spread it from there. Why don't we uh, hold that for a second? We'll just go on to one of our, our Christmas folkloric figures. Do you want to do the one you found okay. today? And we'll get back to the rest of them. After How about that. the one you just found today? The one I just found? The one you found at breakfast? Bellsnickel. Bellsnickel. I think I have it on my list. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about Belsnickel. Well, Belsnickel is related to other companions of St. Nicholas in the folklore of German-speaking Europe. He may have been based on an older German myth, Nick Riprecht, a servant of St. Nicholas, and a character from northern Germany. Unlike those figures, Belsnickel does not accompany St. Nicholas, but instead visits alone. 
and combines both the threatening and the benign aspects, which in other traditions are divided between the St. Nicholas and the companion figure. Kind of like a Krampus. Bell Snickles is a man wearing furs and sometimes a mask with a long tongue. Sounds a little bit like Krampus already. He's, he's typically very ragged and disheveled. He wears torn, tattered, and dirty clothes, and he carries a switch in his hand with which to beat naughty children, but also pockets full of cake, candies, and nuts for good children. The first-hand 19th century account of the Belsnickel tradition in Allegheny County, Maryland, can be found in Brown's Miscellaneous Writings, a collection of essays by Jacob Brown, born 1824, Writing of a period around 1830, Brown says, We did not hear of Santa Claus. Instead, the tradition called for a visit by a different character altogether. He was known as Kris Kringle, Belsnickel, and sometimes as the Christmas woman. Children then not only saw the mysterious person, but felt him, or rather his stripes, upon their back with his switch. The annual visitor would make his appearance some hours after dark, Thoroughly disguised, especially the face, which would sometimes be covered with a hideously ugly fizz, generally wore a female garb, hence the name Christmas Woman. Sometimes it would be a veritable woman, but with masculine force and action. He or she would be equipped with an ample sack about the shoulders, filled with fruits, cakes, nuts, and a long hazel switch, which was supposed to have some kind of a charm in it, as well as a sting. One would scatter the goodies upon the floor, and then the scramble would begin by the delighted children. On the other hand, would fly the switch upon the backs of the excited youngsters, who would not show a wince, but had it been parental discipline, there would have been screams to reach a long distance. The Belsnickel character originated in the Palatinate, outside Europe, basically. When people immigrated to Pennsylvania, they brought their German traditions with them. Belsnickel was known in Pennsylvania in the early 1800s amongst the Pennsylvania Germans. Belsnickel is the character who visits homes prior to Christmas to check up on the behavior of the children. The traditional Belsnickel showed up at houses one to two weeks before Christmas and often created fright because he always knew exactly which of the children misbehaved. He would rap on the door or window with his stick and often the children would have to answer a question from him or sing some type of song. In exchange, he would toss candies onto the floor. If the children jump too quick for the treats, they may end up getting struck with Belsnickel switch. In 1853, I hear you laughing, Tracy. In 1853 <laughs> article in a British magazine describing Pennsylvania customs refers to Belsnickel or Nicholas with the fur, alluding to the dress of skins in which he is said to be clad. Some make Pelschnickel identical with Kris Kringle, but the more general opinion is that they are two personages, one the rewarder of the good, the other the punisher of the bad. According to this article, Pelschnickel merely leaves a birch rod in the stockings of naughty children. There are two versions of Belsnickel, the rural and the urban characters. Both are described in the book Christmas in Pennsylvania, a folk cultural study by Alfred L. Shoemaker and Don Yoder. The tradition fell into decline toward the end of the 19th century, but has seen a revival in recent years. The tradition of Belsnickel was brought to Indiana by immigrants from the Palatinate. His garb could vary from one locality to another. He might wear a long black or brown coat or robe, held together at the waist with a rope, and a fur cap or bearskin hat decorated with bells. In this branch of the tradition, the father or other older male relative was often busy working outside, in quotes there, 
or had to <laughs> see to some matter elsewhere in the house when Belschnickel or Belsnickel arrived. Belsnickling or Krausentraben was the running of groups of young men or youth dressed in false faces and fantastic costumes on Belsnickel night, the eve of the feast of St. Nicholas or St. Nicholstag, and was the occasion of good-natured boisterousness. Young men dressed in skins and furs would move through the streets of a town or village, rattling bells and chains. Tradition also exists in parts of Newfoundland, or Newfoundland, however you want to pronounce that, Nova Scotia, the prairie provinces of Canada, and other communities in the Brazilian state of Santa Catarina. In popular culture, I've got a few listings here. A writer to the letters column of the Times refers to an illustration of Pelsnickel in the book by English author Harriet Myrtle, The Little Sister, in, 19, in 1851. Uh, German illustrator H.J. Schneider depicts him in a long coat, pointed hood, uh, fur around his neck with a long white beard and a big bag. So he's kind of similar to St. Nicholas in, in the description, just a little rougher around the edges. Uh, Stouts Brewing Company in Adamstown, Pennsylvania, brews a seasonal dark lager called Belsnickel. Otto's Pub <laughs> Brewery of State College, Pennsylvania, brews a Belsnickel Ale. The antagonist of the John R. Neal book, The Scalawagons of Oz, the 35th entry in the Oz series created by L. Frank Baum is a mysterious monstrosity called Bell Snickle. It first appears as a large bluish-green object, flat as a buckwheat cake, and rolling along on its edge like a cartwheel. The creature does have arms and legs, as well as facial features. It wears bells on its ears, explaining at least one portion of its name. The creature has the egotism and petulance of a spoiled child. In 2000, author Chet Williamson published Pennsylvania Dutch Night Before Christmas, a children's picture book, that includes Belsnickel in a Pennsylvania Dutch version of The Night Before Christmas. As I just said, it repeats itself. Sorry about that. In Dwight Christmas, a season nine episode of The Office, Dwight uh, Scrooge dresses as Belsnickel and spends a significant portion of the episode deciding if his co-workers were impish or admirable in the, at the company Christmas party. And lastly and most recently, in 2020, Netflix film The Christmas Chronicles 2 features Belsnickel played by actor Julian Dennison, as the movie's main antagonist. His goal in the movie is to destroy Christmas. Okay, well, we haven't seen that yet, so stop talking about it. Well, that's as far as I go that, on That's that. supposed to be watched, I think, tomorrow night. <laughs> Actually, we've got movies we're going to watch tomorrow night instead. Wonder Woman and Soul. Yep, they're premiering. They're yeah, premiering tomorrow, so we're going to watch those. <laughs> so anyway, um, should we have Tracy do some more and then you do another character? Sure, why not? Okay. Have fun, okay, Tracy. Go. go for it. <laughs> go for the gusto. Where'd I go? There we go. Um, <laughs> let's see. We were talking about mistletoe earlier. How about that one? Uh, Norse mythology recounts how the god Baldur was killed using a mistletoe arrow by his rival god Hordor while fighting for the female Nana. Druid rituals use mistletoe as poison for their human sacrifices. But the Christi Christian custom of kissing in the mil middle... Uh-huh under the mistletoe is later a synthesis of the sexual license of Saturnalia because if you pop mistletoe berries, what's it look like? Gooey white stuff! Yeah. Hey, this is a family show. The origin of Christmas presents, you know, you, you'd give gifts primarily to the Lord, to the, the uh, Lord of Misrule, but you also gave them to people around you that you appreciated, or you could steal them from people because, you know, all gifts were, or all crime was, was off for the day. Yeah. 
And Catholic Church gave the custom of, of Christian flavor by rebooting it, by giving it as, as gifts of St. Nicholas, even though at first it was supposed to be just a gift to Jesus that you're supposed to be passing out, not taking it, if that makes any sense at all. That sounds more like giving uh, it to the church to me. They have to get it all, you know? But that's just my personal opinion, it's, yeah. Other things, other myths going around. Christmas is the peak time for suicide. Actually, it is not. It's not. Uh, it's after. Success. Huh? It, the, the, the suicide, the, it's, it's not a, a high point for suicide. The high point for suicide it tends to be after the holidays. Uh-huh. Yep. Research exists. There is no real peak for suicides over Christmas. It, it, the in- increased social interaction has the opposite effect. It makes people cheery and positive. Uh, well, this is the time that most catastrophic incidents happen, house fires specifically. Not caused by the Christmas trees normally, but by mishaps in the kitchen. <laughs> Knives, carvings of meats, people mishandling oils, yes. Yes, grease fires from turkeys. I am very, yeah, yep. yeah that's actually Thanksgiving. Yeah, people trying to deep fry frozen thing. turkeys same or wet turkeys, Christmas that's too. another one. I have this oh, really okay. bad obsession of looking up uh, stuff like that. <laughs> and, and the other one is, is Christmas is also the same time because most, not most, but there's a good portion of the Christian belief means that, that you don't put the Christmas tree up until Christmas Eve. So emergency rooms treat approximately 6,000 falls each year due to people falling over while decorating Christmas trees. My mommy did that and broke her ankle a couple of years ago because she was putting the angel back on top of the tree. And this is why my Christmas tree yeah. is about as tall as I am. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Let's see, Boxing Day. America seems to think Boxing Day is for returning unwanted presents, but it is not. It is actually started in the Middle Ages in the United Kingdom. It was a way to that the churches would open up all their collection boxes they collected through the year and distribute the money to the poor. It became the day that the house staff was off to celebrate family with or celebrate Christmas with their families. And or if they didn't have families to be waited upon by the house they have been taken care of. Prince Albert did not invent the Christmas tree as we've talked about. Xmas is not a sacrilegious abbreviation. There's a big huge thing about it being you know, because it's an Xmas, you're taking the Christ out of Christmas. No, the X is simply the substitute for the Greek word chi, which represents Christ. There's no intention of causing offense. So there you have it, Saint- the X still means Christ. <laughs> Christmas, or sorry, Santa Claus is St. Nicholas. Negative ghostwriter, he is not. Nicholas was born in Para, Turkey in 270 Common Era, and I have to make a point of this because I pulled a lot of stuff from my aunt's Jewish literature because it's the best way I can find all the great dates from things. So Common Era is what people call A.D. How's that? There we go. Now you know why everyone's doing A.D., C.E., B.E., and all that good stuff. B.C.E., all that stuff, yeah. So, Nicholas was born in Turkey in 270 CE, later became Bishop of Mara, died in 345 CE on December 6th. He was only named a saint in the 19th century. He was among the most senior bishops who converted the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE and created the New Testament. In 1087, a group of sailors who idolized Nicholas moved his bones from Turkey to a sanctuary in Bari, Italy. He was supplanted as a female-giving, boon-giving deity called Grandmother, or Pascha Epiphania, who used to fill children's stockings with gifts. The grandmother was ousted from her shrine in Bari, became the center of the Nicholas cult. So Santa, or Saint Nick to begin with, at least this Saint Nicholas, <laughs> was a cult. 
Yay! Once his, once his cult spread north, it was adopted by German and Celtic pagans and worshipped by Wooden, and the, you know, the, who was the chief god and father of Thor, Baldr, and two. Wooden had a long white beard, rode a horse through the heavens one evening in each autumn, and when Nicholas merged with Wooden, he became the Mediterranean... He, be, he shed his Mediterranean appearance, grew a beard, mounted a flying horse, and rescheduled his flight for September. Sorry, December, donning heavy winter clothing. More converts. Uh, 1809, novelist Washington Irving, famous for his legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle, wrote story of the uh, wrote a satire of Dutch culture uh, entitled entitled Knockerbaker History. So I can talk this. I swear, Knickerbocker History. The satire refers several times to a white beard flying horse riding Saint Nicholas using his Dutch name Santa Claus. Dr. Clement Moore, a professor at Union Seminary, read Knickerbocker History, and in, 20, in 1822 published a poem based on Santa Claus, which everyone has read, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," and yes, changed it to Eight Tiny Reindeer instead of having him on a horse. Uh, well, not know, all Christmas characters you know, are benevolent. Probably couldn't carry all those toys anyway. True. You know, we, we've touched this already, so we have... You know, not all, all Christmas characters are benevolent. There's Krampus. Uh, then there's, uh, where'd it go? Uh, Best Nickel, which you just talked about. Yep. And a combination of the two, the fur-clad menace brings only candy, brings candy to good children and beats bad kids. And evidently I was repeating the same thing you just said, so I apologize for that. That's okay. Uh, Jingle Bells was not a Christmas song. It was a Thanksgiving song. Okay. It became a Christmas song because Americans like to or Americans like to slide things over when they need to. It was uh, penned for a Sunday school class and originally titled "One Horse Open Sleigh," and they are eventually changed. The lyrics are eventually changed to to fit Christmas better. Yeah, I, I suppose, but you know, those lyrics could apply to either one. Really. Yep. It, it, it snows around Thanksgiving in some parts of the country. Well, if you look at some of the Christmas songs that are out there, a lot of them could relate to any sort of holiday or any sort of uh, activity. Exactly. Um, good example. Um, what's the one I'm thinking of? Well, George Michael's song "Last Christmas." If you listen to the lyrics, this is a tangent. It's got. It is. It's. In my opinion, it's not really a Christmas song. If you listen to the lyrics, yeah. it's, a, it's a breakup song. Mm-hmm. It really has no place in Christmas except for except the, the fact, fact that he says last, last Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there are other songs um, like that. Uh, what am I thinking of? Well, Jimmy yeah, Bell's, there's like a you bunch said, of them. yeah, there's there's all kinds of Christmas songs that are just not really Christmas songs. They're just a lot of them. I would classify as winter songs. Yep. Talk about being out in the snow and enjoying the enjoying the time together and huddling by the fire and all this other stuff. And yeah, this is traditionally Christmas things, but they're also winter things. Exactly. So yeah, you know, and I'm not I'm not trying to uh, to say that I'm not using them as a way to not celebrate Christmas because I am. I, I listen to them just during the Christmas season. But, you know, you get older and you start thinking about it, and it's like, those aren't really Christmas songs, are they? Yep. If you just, if you just listen exactly. to them. Oh, and if I hear Last Christmas one more time, or, 
or all I want for Christmas is you. I will. I'm going to scream. My work has played just I those two songs. I have tried to avoid most Christmas songs this year. <laughs> oh, I know, but my my work has played those two Christmas songs. Non-denominational Christmas songs. Yeah, they they only played three non-denominational Christmas songs over and over by different people, but the same freaking versions. It's ridiculous. So all day long, yeah. it's last Christmas or all I want for Christmas is you. All I want for Christmas is for them to stop playing those songs. Songs. Yes. <laughs> I, I have been listening or living on my 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 Doctor Demento Christmas. Because yes. I want a copy, you know. <laughs> I I I need my my twisted Christmas songs. So there's something you know. There there are songs you just need, and not songs you never want to hear again. One of the ones I look forward to every year is Santa Claus and His Old Lady by Cheech and Chong. I love that song. It's yeah. on our playlist on uh, Spotify. It's, <laughs> it's funny. not really a song. It's a it's, story. It's but a it's story, fun. but it's funny. It's a story. Yep. It's entertaining. It's, 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 the other one I listen, I wait for all year long is is Santa Claus is watching you. Yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's that's how come my son was born on the twenty second. I started laughing on the twenty first when I heard it. Laughed so hard I put myself into proper labor. Or Art it Carney. was great. How about Art Carney's "All I Want for Christmas Is a Doodly Boop"? Yep. Yep. <laughs> or everybody's favorite. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. My my favorite, my all time favorite th- song though is is an East Coast song. It's it's I want crabs for Christmas. I want what for Christmas? Crabs for Christmas. Crabs for Christmas. Crabs for Christmas. Yeah, they definitely. It's because because in Maryland you don't get crab for for Christmas. You have to wait until spring. Right. But all I want for Christmas, you know, I I, well, I want crab for Christmas. Anywho. (laughs) (laughs) Take that as you may. So, uh, Adrian, do you want to talk about another folkloric character? Okay, but I was going to do this real quick if I can. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well. I know this is randomly weird. I apologize, but I want to do this. Uh, candy canes. Uh, legend has it that they were invented in the 1670s. About 1670, a choir master was giving sugar sticks to children because in the choir because they were acting up and they wouldn't sit still. Um, but the parishioners of the church were very unhappy with the children being given candy you know, because it, it, it breaks with the, the service or whatever. So he made them into shepherd's crooks and you get your candy cane. But the actual first uh, documented case of candy canes uh, in the U.S. dates back to 1847. Um, uh, an immigrant uh, decorated a blue spruce tree with candy canes and paper ornaments. Um and that was 1847. Yeah. Okay. So that was a random thing. I'm sorry. And and they originally were all white. And then they to make them more Christmas, I guess, the, the it's supposed to be the blood of Christ mm-hmm. is why they're red. Yes. So uh, I re- I'm sorry. I'm random, girl. I just happened. To, it was bothering me and it went to my head a minute ago. So what am I doing That's now? Nice um, I'm random, girl. <laughs> well, I, put, I, I, I wrote some information here for some of the uh, Icelandic Christmas folklore. Okay. I'll start there then. Why don't you start with... Uh, the top? Yeah, just start at the top. Okay. Icelandic Christmas folklore depicts mountain-dwelling characters and monsters who come to town during Christmas. These stories are directed at children who are used to, and are used to scare them into good behavior. Uh, the folklore includes both mischievous pranksters who leave gifts during the night and monsters who eat disobedient children. The figures are depicted as living together as a family in a cave and include Gryla is a giantess with an appetite for the flesh of mischievous children who she cooks in a large pot. Her husband, Lapalod, is a 
is lazy and mostly stays at home in their cave. I think that's pronounced Lepaludi, actually. Lepaludi? Okay. The Yule Cat is a huge and vicious cat who lurks about the snowy countryside during Christmas time, Yule, and eats people who have not received new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. The Yule Lads are the sons of Gryla and Lapalod. Lapaludi. Lapaludi, excuse me, I can't talk. <laughs> okay. They are a group of 13 mischie mischievous pranksters who steal from or harass the population and all have descriptive names that convey their favorite way of harassing. They come to town one by one during the last 13 nights before Christmas, Yule. They leave small gifts and shoes that children have placed in windowsills, but if the child has been disobedient, they instead leave a potato in the shoe. Uh, I forget their names. I used, I, 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 I've got a whole listing on here. Yeah. Place. Okay. I was like, <laughs> don't I, worry about that. Okay. The Christmas related folk tales appear around the 17th century and display some variation based on re region and age. In modern times, these characters have taken on a slightly more benevolent role. Origins. The first mention of the Yule Lads can be found in the 17th century poem of Gryla. Gryla had appeared in older tales as a troll, but had not been linked to Christmas before. Gryla is described as a hideous being who is the mother of the gigantic Yule Lads, who are a menace to children. Early on, the number of the number and depiction of Yule Lads varied greatly depending on the location, with each individual lad ranging from a mere prankster to a homicidal monster who eats children. Lovely. Yeah. Yep. Merry nice Christmas, Christmas! They're gonna eat you if you don't behave. They were used to frighten children to good behavior, similar to the boogeyman. The king of Denmark objected to their use as a disciplinary tool. In the late 18th century, a poem mentions there being 13 of them. In the mid 19th century, author Jean Arneson Arneson described drew inspiration from the Brothers Grimm and began collecting folktales. His 1862 collection is the first mention of the names of the Yule Lads. In 1932, the poem The Yule Lads was published as a part of the popular poetry book Christmas is Coming, Jolin Koma, by Icelandic poet Johannes Urquotlum. Quotlum. The poem was popular and so established what is now considered the Canical 13 Yule Lads, their names and their personalities. Do you want to read the next section? Sure. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about, first of all, Gryla and Lapaludi. Uh, Gryla is originally mentioned as being a giantess in the 13th century compilation of Norse mythology, Pros Edda. But no specific connection to Christmas is mentioned until the 17th century. She is enormous and her appearance is repulsive. The oldest poems about Gryla describe her as a parasitic beggar who walks around asking parents to give her their disobedient children. Her plans can be thwarted by giving her food or by chasing her away. Originally, she lives in a large cottage, but in later poems, she appears to have been forced out of town and into a faraway cave. Current-day Gryla has the ability to detect children who are misbehaving year-round. During Christmas time, she comes from the mountains to search nearby towns for her meal. She leaves her cave, hunts children, and carries them home on her giant sack. In her giant sack, sorry. She devours children as her favorite snack. Her favorite dish is a stew of naughty kids for which she has an insatiable appetite. According to legend, there is n never a shortage of food for Gryla. Well, children misbehave all the time. Yep. Nobody's perfect uh -huh. all the time. 
Now, according to the folklore, Gryla has been married three times. Her third husband, Lapaludi, is said to be living with her in their cave in the Demogorgir lava fields with a big black yule cat and their sons. Lapaludi is lazy and mostly stays at home in their cave. Gryla supposedly has dozens of children and her previous husbands, but they are rarely mentioned nowadays. Or doesn't show her with her previous stew. husband, sorry. Bless, what? What's she the of the stew. Yeah, she eats children. What happens when her own children misbehave? Does she eat them too? No, she just sends them to Lapaluli, who won't do a darn thing because he's a lazy lout. Sure, why not? <laughs> so anyway, you want to do the next one, dear? Shouldn't we let Tracy do one now? Or, yeah, you got any more, Tracy? Go for it. Go for it, AJ. I've just got more, you know, tradition stuff, so go for it. Tell us about the, or I can talk about the old cat and talk about oh, the old lads. I can, either, either or doesn't care. Okay. Tell us about the old cat then. Okay, the old cat. I gotta change pages. It is. There. Sorry. Okay. The old cat. Huge and vicious. A huge and vicious cat who is described as lurking about the snowy countryside during Christmas time and eating people who have not received any new clothing to wear before Christmas Eve. He is the house pet of Gryla and her sons. If I can interrupt there real quick, I've seen pictures of the Yule Cat. Think about a house cat. Only six times bigger? <laughs> At least. It's three <laughs> times the size of a panther in most depictions. Yeah, it's really big. Like, it like it a, looms like over like a six cat. foot tall man, basically. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know if it was here or not, but I wanted to. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, I've seen those same depictions. Okay, where was I? The referred to as an ancient tradition, written accounts of the Yule Cat have only been located as recently as the 19th century. The threat of beating that the threat of being eaten alive by the Yule Cat was used by farmers as an initiative for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. The ones who took part in the work would be rewarded with new clothes, but those who did not would get nothing and thus would be preyed upon by the monstrous cat. The cat has alternatively been described as merely eating away the food of ones without new clothing during Christmas feasts. The perception of the Yule Cat as a man-eating beast was partially popularized by poems of Johannes or Clotum? Clotum, I can talk really, as with the rest of the folklore. Are you going to keep going? Yeah. Okay. Just, you know, you're, you're walking around and you're not wearing any new clothes, so here comes the Yule Cat to eat you up. Sounds vicious. Uh, or, or the boss saying, you know, if you don't finish this on time, the Yule Cat's going to get you. It's like, boss, just pay me what you owe me. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, talk about the Yule Lads a bit. Uh, the Yule Lads, sometimes named Yuletide Lads or Yule Men, are the sons of Gryla and Lapaluti. And her two husbands, I should throw that in. They are a group of 13 mischievous pranksters who steal from or otherwise harass the population and all have descriptive names that generally convey their favorite way of causing mischief. They arrive one by one over the final 13 nights leading up to Christmas or Yule. They leave small gifts in shoes the children place on windowsills, but if the children are disobedient, they leave a potato in the shoe instead. At least they get to eat. In modern times, Yule Lads have also been depicted in a more benevolent role, comparable to Santa Claus and other related figures. They're generally portrayed wearing late medieval Icelandic clothing, but are sometimes known in the costume traditionally worn, sometimes shown, sorry, in the costume traditionally worn by Santa Claus, especially at children's events. Uh, 
Yule lads arrive over the course of the last 13 nights before Christmas, beginning on the 12th of December. One then departs each day, beginning on Christmas Day, in the order that they arrive. Thus, each of them stays for 13 days. Uh, here now are the 13 Yule lads in the order they arrive and depart. You want to go over these with me, dear? Um, sure. Okay. Oh, nice spreadsheet. Sorry. Don't worry about read. <laughs> don't try to read the uh, the Icelandic name. Just read the English translation. Okay, I can do that. I can't yeah. do the other one. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it either. So yeah. Okay. <clears throat> the first one. Sheep caught a clod. Harasses sheep, but is impaired by his stiff peg legs. Arrives on the twenty the twelfth of December. Departure the twenty fifth. Next one is Gully Yock. He hides in gullies, waiting for an opportunity to sneak into the cow shed and steal milk. He arrives on the 13th of December and leaves on the 26th. Stubby. Abnormally short, steals pans to eat the crust left on them. Arrives on the 14th of December, leaves the 27th of December. Spoon licker. Steals <laughs> and licks wooden spoons, is extremely thin due to malnutrition. He arrives on the 15th of December and leaves on the 28th. Pot scraper steals leftovers from pots, arrives on December 16th, leaves the 29th of December. Bowl licker hides under beds waiting for someone to put down their asker, which is a type of bowl with a lid used instead of dishes, which he then steals. He arrives on the 17th of December and departs on the 30th. Door slammer likes to slam doors, especially during the night waking people up. Arrives December 18th, leaves the 31st of December. Then there's Scare Gobbler. He has a great affinity for Scare, which is a similar, something similar to yogurt. He arrives on the 19th of December and leaves on January 1st. Sausage, sausage Swiper. I can talk, really, <laughs> I can't. Hides in the rafters and snatches sausages that are being smoked. Arrives December 20th, leaves January 2nd. Window Piper. Yes, window piper, sorry. A snoop who looks Window pepper, peeper. Oh, window peeper, you're right, I'm sorry. It these The spreadsheets are screwing. It, no, it's my eyes. I, the P and the E ran together. It looked like there was an eye in the middle. A snoop who looks through windows in search of things to steal. He arrives on the 21st of December and leaves on January 3rd. Doorway sniffer. Has an abnormally <laughs> large nose and an acute sense of smell, which he uses to locate leaf bread. Loft bread? Broad. Uh, December arrives on December 22nd and leaves January 4th. Meat Hook uses a hook to steal meat. Arrives on the 23rd of December and leaves on the 5th of January. Candle Stealer follows children in order to steal their candles, which were once made of tallow and thus edible. Arrives on December 24th, leaves January 6th. Names in English are based on Halberg Halsrun's. Translation of the poem. Okay. So mostly it just looks like the Yule Lads came and stole your food. Yeah. <laughs> Come back. So along with that, there are there are several obscure Yule Lads too. Uh, before these 13 Yule Lads became the most popular, the description of them varied between locations. Some were said to be sons of Gryla. Others were her brothers. Some stories only describe nine Yule Lads, but every one of them had their own characteristic prank. Most of the different Yule Lads can be classified into groups. Those who steal food, those who like to play tricks or harass, and those who just seem to be a delusion from nature. 
or for example Gullygok who just hides in gullies. In the east of Iceland there existed a folktale of a specific group of Yule lads who did not come from the mountains but from the ocean. One very obscure nursery rhyme mentions there being two female Yule pranksters who steal melted fat by either stuffing it up their nose or putting it in their socks. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> trolls. <laughs> uh, popular culture. You want to talk about that one too? Okay. Gryla and the Yule Lads appear as a central plot point in the 2018 Christmas episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That's Ty what it was. That's where, yeah. Uh, we were, trying, we were racking like, our brains trying to figure it out. recently. Okay. Yeah, we were racking our brains trying to figure we, it out. We watched it, late. we finished watching it like last year, I guess, mm -hmm. but yeah. Or earlier in the year. I totally forgot. Yeah, it, was, it was a midwinter's tale in which the Yule lads terrorize the household and Gryla attempts to claim a baby from Sabrina's aunt. That's right. The that one, the, okay. Extra credits talk about Gryla and the Yule Lads and the Yule Cat in an episode of Extra Mythology. A Yule Cat named Jola appears in the 2020 Netflix movie The Christmas Chronicles 2, which we haven't seen well, yet. We better watch The Christmas yeah. Chronicles 2. Jola is being chased by Santa Claus and his friends into the movie's antagonists with the movie's antagonists Belschnickel and Speck. Belschnickel unleashed Jola in the reindeer stable where he injured Dasher at the time when Jack was getting a root needed to cure the Christmas elves. Jola attacks him and Jack fends... Spoilers, everybody! Spoilers! Jack fends him off with an explosive gingerbread cookie. During the climax of the film, Dasher recovers to tackle Jola into... who is then sent flying out of Santa Village by Santa Claus. I didn't know She's laughing. cookie should be explosive. Yeah, I know. Jola... It's a not the gumdrop buttons. That's anything but the gumdrop <laughs> buttons. Sorry. <laughs> Not my gumdrop buttons. Sorry. Oh, okay. okay. I know. I know. I'm just waiting. Okay. Okay. Breathe, Gracie. Breathe. <laughs> She's not the only one. The Yule Lads are the titular characters of the 10th episode of the second season of the Netflix animated urban fantasy series, Hilda. They are depicted as Gryla's unwilling servants who seek out naughty children for her use in her stews, in her stew for fear of being cooked themselves should they fail. Well, there's your answer. Now you know what happens if they fail. If they don't bring children home, they get eaten themselves. The processing of commercial information is complete. Back to the show. Okay. All right. I think it's Tracy's turn now. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just thinking, you know, 12 Days of Christmas coming before and after with the Yule Lads. That is 24 days. Well, there's 13. So 25 days of, of oh, my goodness. You know? <laughs> okay. And okay, I'm going to stop laughing. Christmas Still see exploding gingerbread man. <laughs> she caught cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so meanings behind Christmas, ancient Christmas traditions. The pagan meanings of Christmas trees. Evergreen trees and plants have been used to celebrate winter festivals for thousands of years, long before the advent of Christianity. Early Romans used evergreens to decorate the temples of the, of the festival of Saturnalia, while Egyptians used green palm rushes in their worship of Ra. Pieces of evergreen fir were first brought into people's homes to brighten spirits during the winter solstice. 
the idea of bringing the evergreen into the house represents fertility, new life in the darkness of winter, and was much more uh, than, than just a pagan theme. The ideas that the holly and ivy and the mistletoe come from uh, came from because because they were flowering plants in the winter, therefore they held special significance. Because they were there are still... several theories. Huh? Sorry, it's just because they were still alive and they were doing their nature thing and everything else exactly. is in the darkness of winter. Nothing grows. Sorry. Exactly. It, I wasn't uh, trying to be snide. I was just in my head. Sorry. No filter. No, no filter. <laughs> I no, have no filter. Um, there are several legends of how the evergreen fir went to become a symbol of Christianity. One is the English Benedictine monk Boniface, famous for his missionary work in Germany in the 8th century. Uh, the story commonly goes that he encountered some native Germans performing some sacrifices in front of a mighty oak tree, being that oak trees were sacred to the god Thor. Boniface seized his axe and felled the tree in order to stop the pagans from worshipping the false god. Uh, when the pagans were waiting for him to be, to be struck down by lightning, it didn't happen. So this stage, he took the opportunity to convert them. Um, the, the legend also says that the fir tree grew out of the stump of the fallen oak. That became the symbol of Christ being triangular shaped, represents the Trinity. And from there came the idea that the tree should be a symbol of the, the uh, new Christian life, or new Christians, and Christ's new life. Nye. Uh Holly. <laughs> yep. Easy for someone else to say, not me, evidently. Uh, holly is a superstitious magic surrounding Holly's deep, uh, sorry, deeply pagan roots. Druids, Celts, Romans all brought their evergreens in their homes during winter, believing their ability to keep their leaves was magical and assured, assured the return of spring. In Christianity, holly, holly was became holly was adopted. I can talk as a symbol of Christ's own crown of thorns. The crimson raspberries, sorry, crimson berries, a symbol of his blood, and the evergreen metaphor for new life after death. Tradition of decking the halls with boughs of holly at Christmas continues today. Gardeners and volunteers cut holly and other evergreens from estates to create garlands and, and wreaths to decorate outdoor banners, banisters, and mantelpieces. The colors, red, green, white, celebrate the season. Yellow, gold, and red, or white to represent the sun. White, silver, and black to represent the moon. Yule log is the tree uh, The tree that the Yule log harvested from had been gifted or cut down from your own land. was considered unlucky to buy it. Families would decorate their trees, uh, their, their Yule log, rather, with pine cones and evergreens to represent the new life. Misfortune, fires, and lightning. Okay, which when makes you said sense. New there, life? there are wooden Tracy? houses and Tracy? little. We lost you again. <laughs> lost you again when you Not said new life. Sorry. Tracy. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> we lost you when you said I'm new here. life. We, we missed all of it. You lost me at new life when you said new life, and okay, then you so were gone. New life. Why is it just okay? You new life. That's, I lost where that is. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. Oh, New... speaking of which, we're about to have a oh. fire. You hear a noise, folks? Sorry, I'm putting on my own new log. Can we, can we burn today? You did check? Yeah, sure. Okay. I just, we always okay. check before we burn, so. Oh, we're, we're those people. Okay, so, 
So, New Life, I believe, goes back to the Holly, right? Yeah, you were talking about the Holly so, and then something about New Life and then you were gone. And you were frozen with this expression on your face. I'm like, okay, she's gone. <laughs> and, and I chose the room that has the 5G full bars. I love my, my internet here. Yeah, um, ours is going to be horrible. Like, it's just, it's horrible. Even for as much as we pay for it, it's horrible. <sighs> okay, so... Okay, so we're going to want to colors. Uh, the colors of the season are red, green, and white to celebrate um, for Christianity. The colors chosen by pagans are gold, yellow, red, or white to represent the sun. White, silver, and black to represent the moon. Yule logs were to be harvested from your land or cut or, or gifted from a friend. It was considered unlucky to buy the trees. Families would decorate logs with pine cones or evergreens to represent the represent their new life, burned and burning them. A small piece of Yule log was kept and placed under a bed, was said to ward off misfortune, fires, and lightning, which makes sense since houses are made of wood. The following year, the leftover Yule log piece was used to start the fire of the new Yule log. If it didn't light on the first try, it was believed to be a bad, bad omen for the year and for the household members. The, house, the, the ashes of the Yule log were said to be special and planted in the soil for luck and used to grow your first harvest of the year. We now know it's because it's full of potassium, which is great for plants. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. as, Christianity, as Christianity grew, the Yule log tradition continued. However, on a more modest scale, since fireplaces and hearths had become much smaller, the, those fireplaces were great for baking cakes, and therefore you had the Bouche Noel, which was a Yule-shaped cake, or a log-shaped cake. Oh, fruit cake. No, actually, it's it's a it's not the fruit cake. It's not fruit cake. Okay. It's not the fruit. It's it's a a rolled cake, so it looks like oh, oh like a Swiss cake like roll. a jelly roll. A jelly yeah, roll, like yeah. a jelly roll, like a Swiss cake. Yeah. Okay. And let's see here. That's the Christian meaning behind the do. things. Um, we know that the, the evergreen trees are a symbol of eternal life. Martin Luther introduced them to, to Reformation Church as a picture of endless life in Christ by Crack bringing the, the tree. We're going to have that going off. Hold on one second. Okay. Sorry. No, keep talking. Keep, keep talking. talking. I just okay. I wanted to get into <laughs> Or the dogs. Hi, puppies. <laughs> we uh, okay, started so. the fire, but if for some reason it doesn't go up the draft, it starts to smoke. And then the fire alarm, the, the smoke alarm will go off, and I really don't want to hear that on the uh Recording, recording the podcast. I, I oh, think wow. our, our listeners will be unhappy. Oh, Quiet, please. Let's see. Candles are supposed to be a, uh, a picture that Christ is the light of the world. Holly speaks of the thorns in his crown. Red is the color of Christmas. It speaks of his blood. Green for the evergreen and and eternal Jesus. And gold for the gold from which the the, the gift of the Magi was. Gifts are reminded that that the gifts that the Magi gave to the baby Jesus. Yule log was a symbol which was to all men and family would carry a log large enough to burn for 12 days in the house. They're identifying with Christ and his cross. Mistletoe was a symbol from Roman times, but under mistletoe, old enemies and broken friendships were restored. And bells were associated to ring out the news, for good news. There we go. Um, war on Christmas is real. <clears throat> the what? Except that well, the war on Christmas is real, supposedly. The war on Fox Christmas News is always been real. Aside, 
there, there is no war on Christmas. Christmas sales start earlier each year. Holiday decorations go up before Halloween pumpkins have rotted. And the only difference between Christmas now and Christmas in the good old days is that there's more acknowledgement of the facts that people celebrate the holiday season, not Christmas itself. There is no evidence that retailers are avoiding the word Christmas. And despite more cities using the neutral term happy holidays, Christmas tree lighting ceremonies and public caroling appearances by Santa Claus are integral parts of the municipal holiday celebrations. Well, I have to disagree on part of that, though. I know several several companies you know? have, several companies have actually banned. Oh wait wait okay, okay there, we lost you for a split second. I was gonna say he, several companies have banned the, the use of the word Merry Christmas. They're not my, allowed to say. My company actually tried that for a while. Didn't work, but they did try it. Yeah, um, everyone tries it every once in a while, but but it's one of those. I I, I there's a reason I say Happy Hanukkah Kwanzaa Yule Festivosimus. Same reason I say Happy because you've got Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. <laughs> you got you got all these these <laughs> you, all, all these different things happening all at one time. Let's see like here. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what what's another one that, that Christians are upset about. Oh, midnight mass. One of the the horriest Catholic jokes is what time is midnight mass? It's no longer funny because midnight mass traditionally the first celebration of the Christmas liturgy. Was also when St. Luke's account of Jesus' birth was read out loud. Recently, however, many churches have moved up their celebrations to first 10 p.m., then 8 p.m., and now as early as 4 p.m. Well, for one reason why is, is churches are packed on Christmas Day, second elderly and families with children find it easier to attend services on the 24th as not to conflict with the, the following day's festivities. As a result, some parishes and churches are putting back on masses on Christmas Day. A parent recently said, as of, okay, really, not really recent, in 2011 said, we'd like to get mass out of the way so we can focus on gifts. There's your war on Christmas, guys. We're focusing on gifts. See, I used to love, when I was a kid, I, I couldn't, I had problems sitting still because of my ADHD, but I absolutely loved, um, I, I, Midnight Mass, I'm, it's one of the things I do miss, Midnight Mass, I always thought it was beautiful. On Christmas Eve. I, I know have, it sounds weird, but... I it's... have... Go ahead. I've wanted to go to Midnight Mass for years, and I've never made it. And I think the closest I've come to a Midnight Mass for me was, was we drove out to my Aunt Nita's house, or Aunt Nita's sister's house, and we came back, and, and there was a shooting star going to the north. And my, my grandfather and father both said, look, Santa's going back for a resupply. <laughs> and my about six or seven year old brain went that's santa there's midnight mass Bleh. and it was like midnight i was i was so desperate to get home because i didn't want santa to know i was still awake well someday i'll get there i mean oh it's of course I, I have to actually walk into church i don't even think that our Catholic Church, I don't know if they did it last year, but I know they're not doing it this year. I'm fairly yeah. certain they're not doing it this year. It's too cold to be outside, and well, they know, can't be inside. They can't congregate well, inside. The church down the street from us is having a... Uh, a church under the stars. The one on yeah. Sunrise, right there on Sunrise and uh, Trinity River, is going to have... Uh, they're, they're having Mass under the stars for Christmas Day. But because Day. of COVID, they're having to do it outside. So they're doing it at like 9.30 or something. Huh? Burr cold. Burr cold, exactly. Yeah, there's no way I would do that. 
I, I even if I was diehard religious, I wouldn't do it. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm not anti-religion, but I would definitely not that. Diehard religious or not, they better have heat lamps. Heat lamps, and even then, your feet are going to be freezing. <laughs> oh yeah. Nope. Nope. Yeah, see? Tracy understands. It's too cold. <laughs> Think about people doing this in the Midwest right now. There's snow. How are they supposed to do mass at their churches? They can't. You know, we really sound like a bunch of old people right I now. I know. Right? I feel old, too. I feel old. I do. Well, well some of us are old, so, you know. Yes, we know. Be nice. <laughs> hey, you started it. <laughs> Get myself in trouble here. Oh. So... Anybody got anything else, or should we go on to the next folklore figure? Go on to the next folklore figure. Okay. Do you want to do it, dear? Sure. Why okay. not? Tell us about Belfana. Belfana or Bafana? Bafana. Sorry. Bafana. Okay. I was like, am I looking at that wrong? Sorry, I got her mixed up with Belsnickel. Yeah. Okay. Right now. In Italian folklore, Belf... See, you got me doing it. Bafana <laughs> is an old woman who delivers gifts to children throughout Italy on Epiphany Eve, the night of January 5th, in a similar way to St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. A popular belief is that her name derives from the feast, from the feast of Epiphany, Italian Festa dell'Epifiana, Ep, uh, Epifiania, uh, uh, whatever. Anyway, Epiphany nice <laughs> is a Latin word for the Greek origins meaning manifestation of the divinity. Some suggest that Bifana is descended from the Sabine Roman goddess named Strina? Strania? Strania. Strania. I can talk, really. In popular folklore, Bifana visits all the children in, of Italy on the eve of the Feast of Epiphany to fill their socks with candy and presents if they are good, or a lump of coal or dark candy if they are bad. In more poorer parts of Italy, and in particular rural Sicily, a stick in a stocking was placed instead of coal. Being a good housekeeper, many say she will sweep the floor before she leaves. To some, the sweeping meant the sweeping away of the problems of the year. The child's family typically leaves a small glass of wine and a plate with a few morsels of food, often regional or local for Bifana. She is usually portrayed as a hag riding a broomstick through the air, wearing a black shawl, and is covered in soot because she enters the children's houses through the chimney. She is often smiling and carries a bag of hamper uh, of, or hamper filled with candy, gifts, or both. And I think that's, yeah, okay. I think that was all we have on her, right? Nope, you got the legend. The legend, okay, okay. The legend. Christian legend had it that Bifana was approached by the biblical magi who, or biblical magi also known as the three wise men or the three kings, which we know well, they were just wise men. A few days before the birth of the infant Jesus, they asked for directions to where the Son of God was as they had seen his star in the sky, but she did not know. She provided them with shelter for the night, for a night as she was considered the best housekeeper in the village with the most pleasant home. The Magi invited her to join them on the journey to find the baby Jesus, but she declined, stating she was too busy with her housework. Later, La Bafana had a change of heart and tried to search out the astrologers and jesus i think they meant the magi the the night she that night she was not able to find them so to this day lebafana is searching for the little baby she leaves all the good children toys and candy caramels caramel or fruit while the bad children get coal carbon onions or garlic another christian legend takes a slightly darker tone as lebafana was an ordinary woman with the child whom she gent she greatly loved. However, 
Her child died, and her resulting grief maddened her. Upon hearing news of the of Jesus being born, she set out to see him. Delusional that he was her son, she eventually met Jesus and presented him with gifts to make him happy. The infant Jesus was delighted, and he gave La, La Befana a gift in return. She would be the mother of every child in Italy. Popular tradition tells that if one sees La Befana, one will receive a thump from her broomstick as she doesn't wish to be seen. This aspect of the tradition being designed to keep children in their beds. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be hit by a broom. Another commonly heard Christian legend of La Befana starts at the time of the birth of baby Jesus. In this telling, Befana spent her days cleaning and sweeping. One day, the Magi came to her door in search of the baby Jesus. Okay, we are reading the same. No, okay. Okay, however, Bufana turned them away because she was too busy cleaning. Feeling guilty, she eventually decided to find Jesus on her own by following a bright light in the sky, which she believed point, believes pointed the way. She brings along a bag filled with baked goods and gifts for Jesus and a broom to help the new mother clean. Unfortunately, despite her best efforts, she never finds him. According to this telling, Bufana is still searching after all these centuries for the newborn Messiah. Uh, on the eve of Epiphany, Befana comes to every house where there is a child and leaves a gift. Although she has been unsuccessful in her search, she still leaves gifts for good young children because the Christ child can be found in all children. And I think it's somebody else's turn. Okay, I'll talk about her history then. Okay. Befana was never a widespread tradition among the whole Italian people, having originated in Rome and having only become well-known and practiced by the rest of the population during the 20th century. Many people believe that the name Befana is derived from the Italian's mispronunciation of the Greek word Epiphania, or, or Epiphania, Epiphania, sorry, Greek, of course, appearance, uh, surface English Epiphany. Others point to the name being a derivative of Bastrina, the gifts associated with the goddess Strina. In the book Domestic Life in Palestine by Mary E. Rogers, Cohen Hitchcock, in 1865, the author notes, but an essay on the fine arts by E.L. Tarbuck led me to believe that this custom is a relic of the pagan worship, and that the word bastrina refers to the offerings which used to be made to the goddess Strinia. We could hardly expect that the pagans who embraced Christianity could altogether abandon their former creeds and customs. Macaulay says Christianity conquered paganism, but paganism infected Christianity. The rites of the Pantheon passed into her worship and the subtitles of the Academy into her creed. Many pagan customs were adopted by the new church. T. Hope in his essay on architecture says the Saturnalia were continued in the carnival and the festival with offerings to the goddess Strenia was continued in that of the new year. A theory connects the traditions of exchanging gifts to an ancient Roman festivity in honor of Lannis, or sorry, Yanis, and Strenia. In Italian, a Christmas gift used to be called Strena, celebrated at the beginning of the year when Romans used to give each other presents. In the book Vestiges of Ancient Manners and Customs, discoverable in modern society, I'm sorry, modern Italy and Sicily, in 1823, John J. Blunt says the Bufana appears to be heir at law of a certain heathen goddess called Strenia. Who presided over the New Year's gifts, Strenier, from which indeed she derived her name. Her presents were of the same descriptions as those of the Bafana, figs, dates, and honey. Moreover, her, sol her solemnities were vigorously opposed 
by the early Christians on account of their noisy, riotous, and licentious character. And that's pretty much it on her. No, I'm sorry. Okay. There is more. <laughs> There's a lot more than I thought there was. <laughs> Uh, the tradition of Bafana appears to incorporate other pre-Christian popular elements as well, adapted to Christian culture and related to the celebration of the New Year. Historian Carlo Ginsberg relates her to Nick Nevin. The old lady character should be represent should then represent the old year just past, ready to be burned in order to give place to the new one. In many European countries, the tradition still exists of burning a puppet of an old lady at the beginning of the New Year, called. Guibiana in northern Italy, with clear Celtic origins. Italian anthropologists Claudia and Luigi Manchiocco, in their book Unza Casa Senza Porta, or A House Without Doors, trace Bafana's origins back to Neolithic beliefs and practices. The team of anthropologists also wrote about Bafana as a figure that evolved into a goddess associated with fertility and agriculture. Bufana also maintains many similarities with Perkta and her pre-Christian Alpine traditions. Would you like to talk about it, Bufana, today? Sure. Okay. Are we, are we, aren't we leaving Tracy out? No, we're still talking about Bufana. No, it's fine. Oh, okay, okay, as long as she's, okay. I didn't want to, I didn't want to think <laughs> I have more. I have more, but you got stuff, so good. You're talking about Bufana until we're going to okay. finish Bufana, then Tracy can't talk. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Bufana today, the Bufana is celebrated throughout all of Italy and has become a national icon. In the regions of Marches, Umbria, and Latium, her figure is associated with the Papal States, where the Epiphany held the most importance. Urbania is thought to be her official home. Every year there is a big festival held to celebrate the holiday. About 30,000 to 50,000 people attend the festivities. Hundreds of Bufanas are present, swinging from their main tower. They juggle, dance, and greet all the children. Traditionally, all Italian children may expect to find a lump of coal in their stocking. Actually, rock candy made black with caramel coloring, uh, coloring as every child has been at least occasionally bad during the year. That's what they call carbone. Apparently, there's a company in Italy that manufactures carbone specifically for the celebration of a farm. Sounds cool. I wonder if we could like order some. I don't know. I know you can get stuff. I could make you some. Oh, you know how to make it? <laughs> I, I made some a couple years ago. Oh. It didn't taste the best because my caramel coloring was a little, um, I might have overcooked the caramel a bit, but I tried. <laughs> I can also make you lumps of coal out of Oreos. I've seen those. I can do that. Those are like, it's, they're, they're almost like uh, truffles or bonbon type yep. things. They're rice they're, they're with Oreos. Okay, those are different no, it's, Well, there's no Rice Krispie in it. It's just those Rice Krispie treats basically with Oreos. Oh, Okay. Those I wouldn't mind trying. The kids. Oreos and marshmallows. My, my kids love them. Oh. Yep. I'm... Oreo marshmallow butter. Uh -huh. Okay. Where was I? Okay. I found it. Three. Okay. Three places in Italy. Not I'm craving candy. That's not good. Three places in Italy are nowadays associated with Bafana traditions. Pizzazza Navona in central Rome is the site of a popular market each year between Christmas and the Epiphany where toys, sugar, charcoal... And other candies are on sale. The feast of the Bafana in Rome was immortalized in four famous sonnets in a Torino Respig... Spig... We'll go with that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Here, have a Christmas candy. <laughs> 1928 Feast Romane Roman Festivals. 
The fourth movement titled La Bifana is an orchestral portrayal of this Piazza Navone uh, festival. A common superstition is that at midnight, when it turns January 6th, the Bifana shows herself in a window of Pisa, Piazza Navona, and visitors go often go there to observe this. The town of Urbania in the province of Pissarro e Urbino within the marches where the National Bifana Festival is held each year, usually between January 2nd and 6th, a house of Bifana is scheduled to be built and post and the post office has a mailbox reserved for letters addressed to the Bifana mirroring what happens with Santa Claus in Rover Rovaniemi in Fornovio de Terro, a town in the province of Parma, the national meeting Redundo Reduno Nazale del Bef. I can't talk. I think it's funny. You're, you're I'm Italian. Italian. You yeah, I'm Italian, and I can't. <laughs> I never said I could speak Italian. That's okay. That was my grandparents. Reduno Nacional de Befana de is is held on. Bafani is held on the 5th and 6th of January. In other parts of the world where a vibrant Italian community exists, traditions involving Bafana may be observed and shared or celebrated with the wider community. In Toronto, Canada, for example, a Bafana choir shows up on winter solstice each December to sing in the Kensington Market Festival of Lights Parade. Women, men, and children dressed in Bafana in La Bafana costume and... Nose. Sing love songs to serenade the sun to beckon its return. The singing hags gather in the street to give candy to children, to cackle and screech, to recording music, and to sing in every key imaginable to delight. Parade participants join in the cacophony. Sometimes the Bafanas dance with parade goers and dust down the the willing as parade goers walk by. Well, I don't call it the Christmas witch for nothing. Nope. <laughs> She also appears in poems and songs. Uh, there are poems about Bufano, which are known in slightly different versions throughout Italy. Uh, here's one of the versions, the English translation. And these will all be English translations, actually. I'm not going to try the, the Italian. The Bufana comes by night with her shoes all tattered and torn. She comes dressed in the Roman way. Long live the Bufana. Another version is given in a poem by Giovanni Pascoli. Here comes, here comes the Bufana. She comes from the mountains in the deep of the night. Look how tired she is, all wrapped up in the snow and frost and the north wind. Here, come, here comes here, here comes, comes the, the Bafana. And that's it for what we have. Not yes, it is. Do we, have we films. Do we have films? Oh, okay. We're not almost done. <laughs> I jumped the gun, sorry. In film, La Frecchia Azura, a 1996 animated film released in the U.S. as How the Toys Saved Christmas. I think you've seen that one, haven't you, dear? Yeah, I think so. I think you have. The Italian-language Christmas fantasy comedy film The Legend of the Christmas Witch, or in Italian, La Bafana Vien di Notte, I haven't was seen that released one. on December 27, 2018. The Italian-Spanish co-production co was directed by Michelle Scavi and features a 500-year-old Bafana who works as a school teacher by day. Cool. And now, now we're done. <laughs> okay. So let's go through more uh, Christmas myths and, and facts. Um, if I can find where I was. Haha. -ha. 
Christmas, the Christian holiday of Christ, of Christ Mass is currently the biggest celebration of the season. An actual day uh, of his birth is, uh, yeah, as we said, kind of scattered to the four winds. Um, could be anywhere from January to May or August through November or any time in the year, basically. Um, when it was first incorporated, Christmas appears to have been intended to supplant the... the the um, celebrating the pagans and Romans celebrating the birth of Saul Inviticus, or the collective god of the sun, of the last three sun deities. Uh, one of them was the Roman soldier god Mithras. Considering Christ was considered the light of the world by Christians, it was actually a pretty logical uh, of sub- uh, substitution, since uh, the, the soldier god Mithras is, you know, to be of the sun. The 12 days of Christmas between December 25th and January 6th are also similar to the pagan Roman festival of Saturnalia. is to celebrate the entire 12 days. Okay, you got to back up a couple seconds there, Tracy. Marduk. Tracy. As he returned. Hi, Tracy. (laughs) Okay. Back up a couple seconds because we lost you. (laughs) You know. Okay, uh, the 12 days of Christmas are supposed to be, you know, are, are, are December 25th to, to January 6th, similar to Saturnalia, which was December 17th to the 23rd, so a week of celebration there. Mm-hmm. But this is also turned upside down with masters serving slaves. A precursor to Saturnalia was the Babylonian Zagmuk Festival, which lasted for 12 days, celebrating the sun god Marduk as he returned to society in a similar way to Saturnalia. It's difficult to point out exactly what point and how deliberately the Christian holiday was overlaid on the, to the older festivals, which supplanted each other. But Christianity spread, and the festival then rode, synchronized, and became established. Um, oh, here we go. St. Nicholas is a very early Eastern saint that we've talked about, but his modern incarnation of Santa Claus is essentially Dutch, incorporating traditions of the Norse god Odin. In the 2001 fantasy novel, American Gods, Neil Gaiman's hero Shadow spends Christmas in a Midwestern diner with an American version of Odin. Though some re- some readers may scratch their heads at how the Allfather became a grifter. Well, if you do any research Odin, he was a grifter. <laughs> always, always has been, <laughs> he went, yeah. He, 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 that was his way of getting through things. Mm-hmm. Um, more rock or, or pop culture, Supernatural's Supernatural episode, A Very Supernatural Christmas in 2007, touches on the European tradition surrounding Santa Claus, this time involving the companions of St. Nicholas. The companions are, are demons who have tamed the saint and have forced him to do his biting, though this eventually scared the hell out of children, as we have talked about, or you talked about, mm-hmm. with the other. Um, we're, we're effectively in this idea... God, not God, uh, Jesus, I can speak. Santa's brothers, there we go. Right. Okay. Uh, that that kind of reminds me of a movie I saw a couple of years ago called, uh, I think it was Special Delivery or something like that. It was a, okay. uh, it was a, it was actually an Icelandic film where Santa was a demon that uh, was basically kept at bay by being frozen in ice, but his helpers, who actually looked like the traditional Santa Claus... We're roaming about uh, attacking the town, basically. 
Okay. <laughs> it's 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 a weird film. It's kind of fun to watch. It's it's a it's kind of a scary horror film, but it's also kind of a comedy. Um, I recommend special it. Special delivery. Yeah, I think I'll have to check it out. It's either special delivery or it's um. No, I don't think that's the right title. I'll have to look it up. What are you talking about? Uh, just a movie that I had seen. About. About. Well, when, when you guys when, when you remember it, send it to me or put it on the page. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Okay, uh, if you want an eye-opener on how medieval Europe literally demonized perceived external enemies, enemies, check out Zwart Piet or Zwart Pather, Black Peter of the Netherlands. This figure is a, a caricature of a Moor, which is a medieval Spanish or Northern African Muslim, including dark skin. There's nothing non-human about him, but his exotic appearance was thoroughly was enough to mark him as a demon in medieval Europeans. This is especially iconic. Sorry, ironic considering that many Muslims don't have problems with Christmas as they do with Easter. Though they don't celebrate Winter Festival, the, Isla the Islamic holiday is lunar-based, has no roots in the solar cal calendar. They do revere Jesus as a, as a penultimate prophet conceived of, of a virgin birth. Realizing that, that pursuing Santa's evil brother angle could rapidly become politically incorrect, the supernatural writers decided to get rid of that idea and just turn it to the true villains are being are, are pagan gods. Cue frustration because pagan gods are not supposed to be complete and utter dorks, meanies, horrible creatures. <laughs> this is true. Uh, they can be capricious, but not necessarily yeah. evil. And let's see. There's, there's other festivals that go on at this time that's why you hear me say all that you know five mile long happy hanukkah festivosimus it's because during this time we have other holidays in december hanukkah the festival of lights uh kwanzaa which is celebrating the harvest winter solstice the welcoming of the sun uh then there's oh this would be fun to say Soyangul among the Zuni of the southwestern United States is celebrated on the winter solstice and marks the beginning of the new year. A pre-Zosteran festival from the second millennium BCE is celebrated winter solstice as a victory light over darkness. The birth of Mithras is the sun god and invites this day in Iran is a festival of Yalda. In Sri Lanka, the famous Buddhist nun Sagfumina was commemorated on the solstice. In India, Marco Sanscritini celebrated January, 7, uh, January 14th as the only Hindu, Hindu festival not based on the lunar calendar, marking the entrance of the sun into the constellation of Capricorn. It's meant to celebrate the lengthening of the days of the winter solstice. There's lots of traditions around the world yep, there are, that celebrate... Oh, I, found your, I found the name um, of the movie too, by the way. What is it? It's called Rare Exports, hey. a Christmas tale. Oh, what? I'm sorry, you faded out. I'm sorry, it's Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Rare Exports, okay. It's actually a I'll have 2010 Finnish fantasy film. It's about I'll a town that, that discovers the secret behind Santa Claus, basically. Sweet. Um, let's see. Neo-pagan traditions, Wiccans, Asatero, Germanic, and Icelandic neo-pagans both celebrate Yule, and we can celebrate, celebrate the single day of Sabbat commemorating the rebirth of the sun while Asatero observe a 12-day festival beginning with solstice, the 12 days of Christmas. Lithuanian Romuva have re revived the Latvian festival 
dedicated to the birth of the Latvian creator of the sky god, Deves. They celebrate December 23rd, 24th, and 25th for two weeks leading up to the original festival. It's known as the Season of the Ghosts. In Celtic, neo-pagan traditions, the solstice holds a significance as major fe festival after Samhain. And making Christmas completely, decidedly tangled. Making the debate over the secularization of the holiday, um, where you get to eat a lot and get a lot of nice good stuff. Is it really religious or is it, you know... <laughs> yeah. Anywho, we've beaten that dead horse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how about how about the twelve days of Christmas? The song. How about the depending on who you ask, it, it it it's got different meanings. If you go for the the Christians, they're going to say, "Oh, the whole thing is um, about Jesus." You know, parches the pear trees, Jesus Christ, the two turtle doves of the Old and New Testament, three French hens, faith, hope, and charity, theological virtues, calling birds of four gospels. Oh, the four evangelicus, I can say this word. The golden rings, the five books of the Old Testament. Geese, six geese of laying are the six days of creation, seven swans of swimming, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the seven sacraments. Eight maids of milking are the eight beautides. Nine ladies dancing are the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords of leaping, ten commandments. Nine pipers piping are the eleven faithful apostles. Apostles and the 12 drummers drumming are the 12 points of doctrine of the Apostles' Creed. But wait, is it? No, it started out for us as a song, as a memory game. You know, you go around the room and you have to say, you know, person number one says, you know, I see a green tree. And the next one is, I say, okay, I see two birds and a green tree. And you add it all the way through. Right. And it became... Um, it became a, a repeated thing, and this is a good one that fits for it, and it became a school children's uh, memory game, and then it became a song and has become a tradition. Ta-da! Uh, what's the other one? Oh, as of 1984, the cost of everything that you got in the, the 12 Days of Christmas song and I haven't looked up it since then, but the 12 Days of Christmas 1984 was $39,094.93. Because trying to get hold of of swans was almost $2,000 each. Yeah, that can be an expensive Christmas all around. Oh, yes. <laughs> and and, and if, you, if you think about how the song is phrased, it's not just they got 12 or you know, one set of, of each thing. Each day, day they, they got, got they another sang. set. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All I can think of so is there if are... those gifts were literal, that would be one very active So you got 12 cartridges in a pear tree, and then 12 times 2 for the next one, and 12 times 3 for uh -huh. the or whatever. You know, it, not 12, but like 11. And it's, it's not a love song. This is what your lover does to you out of spite. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But that's love. everything I have on Christmas Fact and Fiction. All right. Well, I'm going to go into one final figure before we finish up. Of course, I know we're running a little favorite. bit late, Tracy. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Keep it, Tracy. It's we okay. Know you've got your, your anniversary plans going on here. We're almost done, I swear. This is Tracy's anniversary. <laughs> her and her husband, Joel, are celebrating how many years together now? 22 years. 22 years. 
We, we plan on Sounds getting married up. September 9th, and his mother thought we were eloping. So we found out December 21st we're getting married Christmas Eve. Psych. <laughs> and we did it in front of his aunt's Christmas tree, in my mother's wedding gown, and his grandfather's tux jacket, his cousin's bow tie, and his other cousin's button-down shirt. <laughs> cool. No tie to plaid. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to touch on this guy real quick here because we did say we would mention his name, and that is Krampus. Krampus, yep. Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure in alpine folklore who during the Christmas season scares children who have misbehaved, assisting to St. Nicholas, uh, he, who rewards the well-behaved on the 5th of December at night with modest gifts, as in oranges, dried fruit, walnuts, chocolate, the like, and bad ones with the birch rod. Uh, the origin of the figure is unclear. Some folklorists and anthropologists have postulated it as having pre-Christian origins, which kind of sounds right to me, actually. In traditional uh -huh. parades and in such events as Krampuslauf, English is uh, the Krampus run, young men dressed as Krampus participate. Such events occur annually in most Alpine towns. The Krampus is featured on holiday greeting cards called Krampus Karting. In 2013, the character has become better known globally, having been portrayed in Hollywood horror films and almost unknown before this time. Krampus has begun to become part of the American popular culture, so I'm sure everybody is starting to hear about Krampus. Krampus. Um, yep. Yeah. Evangelist, it's a popular costume. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> But yeah, he's part of the, the, the origins basically is he's part of the pre-Christian Alpine traditions. Uh, some say that he is the assistant to Santa Claus or St. Nicholas, actually, in this case. In other depictions, he's actually his brother. Um, where Santa gives out all the good stuff, Krampus gives out the, the switches, uh, takes the naughty children, puts them in a sack, and, and carries them off. Uh, whether they return or not. Nobody knows for sure. Uh, uh, let's see. Probably yeah. end up being a Yule lad. Yeah, or a probably. Stew. Something like that. Uh, modern history in the 1932 election in Austria, the Krampus tradition was prohibited by the Dolphus regime under the clerical fascist Fatherland's front uh, and the Christian Social Party. In the 1950s, the government distributed pamphlets titled Krampus is an Evil Man. Towards the end of the century, a popular resurgence of Krampus celebrations occurred and continues today. So basically, right around the time of the, uh, the Nazi party uh, gaining power, Krampus disappeared for a while. <gasps> yeah, well, you know how it goes. Uh, although Krampus oh, appears... They... Yeah. Let's <laughs> say the Nazi party disappeared a lot of people. I'm sure, so... no doubt. So although Krampus appears in many variations, most share some common physical characteristics. He's hairy, usually brown or black, and has the cloven hooves and horns of a goat. His long, pointed tongue lolls out, and he has fangs. Krampus carries chains, thought to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church. He thrashes the chains for dramatic effect. The chains are sometimes accompanied with bells of various sizes. Of more pagan origins are the root bundles of birch branches Krampus carries, and with which he occasionally swats children. The rootin may have had significance in... You're laughing when I say that. No, it has nothing to do with you. You weren't paying attention. It's okay. Okay. 
the Republic may have had significance in pre-Christian pagan initiation rites. The birch branches are replaced with a whip in some representations. Sometimes Krampus appears with a sack or a basket strapped to his back. This is to cart off evil children for drowning, eating, or transport to hell. Some of the older versions make mention of naughty children being put in the bag and taken away. The quality can be found in other companions of St. Nicholas, such as Warp Kit, which uh, we never got a chance to get into. We talked about him a little bit. A little bit, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> Not just much. a little bit. Yeah, we touched on him. We touched on him. That's pretty much uh, Krampus in a nutshell. I'm not going to go any further than that. We're done. Um, he did show up in popular culture, though. You know, if anybody ever saw the movie Krampus, for example. It's a couple of years old now, I think. But, yep. Yeah. Um, um, he's been in, in animation. He was actually in, uh, uh, what was that? What's that new Matt Groening thing? The medieval one? Oh, uh, the... Disenchanted? Just, it, uh... Yeah, I think it's yeah, Disenchanted. Krampus actually showed up in that. I love Disenchanted. Too. It's hilariously... Well, see, I, 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 I loved the Life and Love and Hell books. The bunnies and the little uh, fez-wearing oh, critters. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. It was American Dad. Was it American Dad? Yes, it was American Dad. That's right. Krampus showed up in American Dad? Yes, and Roger and him became friends. Oh. Basically. Is it a new thing? How, how many Not years really. ago? It was 2013. Uh I haven't watched American Dad like religiously in a long time. Krampus has also shown up in shows like The Venture Brothers, which uh, I haven't watched yeah. ever. So, and of course, like we said, the, the 2015 film Krampus. Okay, he's popular in popular culture. Basically, he's yes. he's been growing. Yeah. Yes. So, of course, you know Santa Santa had the reins, but only for so long, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Is that Elena? That was my daughter. Opening the door to see if I'm home. Hi, Lainey. I am. They say hi, Lainey. Okay. Later. <laughs> sorry, she said, everybody. sorry, everybody. I, we heard her loud and clear, actually. <laughs> so cute. Okay, well, we're going to let Tracy get back to her anniversary with her husband. Sorry to keep it for so long. No worries. He understands. This is the, my, my, my pressure relief. This is my talking to a real live adult that's not family. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's we enjoy go. this. We look forward to this, yeah, too. Exactly. So. We still got things to do, so we're going to let you go. We'll let you go. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say on the close? Uh, any any shout-outs to anybody? insane holiday. Everyone, please be safe. Wear your masks. Be good. Try not to do anything silly. Uh, after being in the ER with the kid, uh, granted it was a very calm night in the ER, according to them, it was still chaotic. And I'm looking going, because our yeah, first night at the ER was, yeah, we came home. Yeah. And the next day at the ER was a bit calmer. We actually got to go in. But yeah, please, if you can stay out and or stay home and be good and be safe, please do so. <laughs> Yeah, and on top of that, um, I also want to uh, reiterate our contest. We are still doing the doll face contest. If you have any uh, art that you'd like to submit for the contest, we're actually going to extend it to January 8th. No. For submission. No. 
What do you mean no? We had this discussion. We're going to extend it until the beginning of February. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. We had this discussion. Yeah, we're going to do it till the first. <laughs> we're going to do it till the uh, first week in February. He wants to end it on the third of February, my birthday. That's right. So, um, and we will be doing our podcast on my birthday. I'm totally cool with that. And Yay! It's not like we can go out and do anything anyway. We're recording on the on the third to air on the fifth, which is a Friday. So, um, so, like I said, I'm not worried about it. But like I said, please, I would love to see your artistic renderings. It, you know, even if you're not sure if it's good enough, just do what you want. Do something fun. Create a new doll face if you want. Yeah, just create it. Yeah, create a new doll face. Show us your best haunted doll. Yeah, do you know it doesn't have to be art? It just a new logo. Try and design us a new logo. We're it doesn't just have to be dollface. We are open to interpretation. Now remember, the winner of this contest is going to get a printed T-shirt of their design, which we will also be distributing later on for sale for everybody too. If, if we can find it, also if we can find a better distributor than the one we've been using. We'll figure something out. We'll, we'll hopefully figure something we'll out. We'll search yeah. around. I'm but not yeah. Sure we can find also, if you have suggestions for t-shirt distributors and whatnots, let us know. We're all ears. Also, you've got something to say? Um, I have some shout-outs for some friends slash family member. Well, not family, but friends. Well, our family. Cl close friends and family. Um, this this shout-out goes to Craig and his lady. She, you know, I'm glad she's recovering nicely. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you both. And glad to hear it. And we'd also like to shout out to Kayla and Dean because they've been going through some hardships and, and stress and let them know that we love them and we're thinking about them. Yep. So, um, anything else? Um, I've got nothing except how to contact us, Tracy. Oh, and have a, have a Merry Christmas and uh, stay safe. Yeah, definitely safe Christmas, Merry Christmas. Uh, if you're if, if you're still celebrating family, Hanukkah, be careful just the same. Are we still, still in Hanukkah? No, uh, Hanukkah finished a couple days ago. It did. Oh, okay, it finish, yeah. I didn't remember when it started. I never keep track of anything. I can bear. The only reason I remember Christmas is the twenty fifth. It's the twenty fifth. For it's, those it's listeners in... of the Jewish persuasion, we hope you had a happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, yeah. And uh, Tracy, would you like to tell people how to contact us? <laughs> It's really super simple. You're listening to the podcast. At the bottom of the description is a link that says leave us a message. <clears throat> Follow that link. Click the button. Put your email in once. You'll get one email. That's it. Leave us a message. Tell us how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. You have heard me do a message on air. And you heard me delete the message and record another one. So please, you can do it too. Definitely. What other ways can they reach us too? You can reach out to us on the Facebook page of What in the Podcast. Facebook page. And, and, yeah, sorry, What in the Podcast Facebook group. <laughs> you can leave us individual emails through, um, well, emails. You can leave us individual messages through there because you got our names. And we'd just love to hear from you. We're all pretty good at responding to messages too. Occasionally, Facebook hides them. But like I said, I always try and check at least my messenger messages periodically. So, and, and to that extent, also, if you want to leave us a message, you can always email us at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. That's also where we're accepting submissions for your designs for the uh, Dollface contest. Um, so, yeah, just submit there, just like any other email. 
We'd love to hear yeah. from you. Yes. Please, and we understand we're extending the contest because we understand that the holidays are hard for people. And also artistic work takes time sometimes. Artists are very, very particular and perfectionists, aren't they, dear? I think the word you're looking for is meticulous. Persnickety. <laughs> that depends on the artist. Like my husband here, everything has to be just so and perfect. And if it's not that way, it takes forever. And I understand that. And that's why we decided to extend it to February 3rd. So yeah, so we're going to extend it to the 3rd of February. Please give us some ideas. I think I might actually jump in on this contest, not to win, but just to show people what they can do as an example. He he came up. You came up with our logo yourself. So I mean. Yeah, but that was a Photoshop design. I think I'm gonna go for an original drawing. Drawing. That's good. I'd love to see some of your work. You really haven't been into your artistic zone lately. No, and I need to get back into. I it. would love I it. I I brag on your artwork constantly. I think Feng Shui in the living room as we've got planned will help a little bit. We are rearranging furniture today. Wish me luck. Yeah, I'm really sad. Oh. Next time you see a Tracy, hopefully it won't be as crowded. <laughs> If anybody knows I mean, anything about our place, it is hard to move in here It's right small. Now. It is small. We're going to try and uh, make it bigger. By rearranging things. We've, he's got ideas. We'll see how it works. It's it kind, of, kind of my New Year's resolution, which I am going to follow through with. Yeah, I'm not going to hold my breath. Hey, hey, hey. We're going to do it right after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Well, we're going to do a few. We're going to do a few, like, do preliminary things yep. after the podcast, and then we'll see. Anyway, let's let Tracy get off to her celebration. Have a wonderful Christmas Eve and Merry Christmas. And Merry we'll, Christmas, Tracy. We'll Merry see Christmas you. to all. Where are we and seeing you? A fabulous day. Next week? Yes. Okay. okay. Next week. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Have we'll fun. Do. Enjoy your anniversary. Congratulations. And we'll see everybody. Thank you. We'll see everybody next week. Hey, maybe you can bring the kid with you. She can come sit in with us. You're making it really hard to say. Maybe. Is she driving you that crazy? You don't have to, but you she's always welcome. (laughs) I haven't seen her since I haven't seen her since our party, so our Halloween party years ago. So Oh, now you want me to talk. (laughs) No, I don't want you to talk. I'll talk over you. So uh no, I'm just kidding. Ooh, that's pretty. Is that that one you're you're uh Yeah, that looks good. It's interesting. Folks, I'm going to let them keep talking. You all have a good night and stay spooky. Bye. Bye. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. What in the?